skis are flown, our conversation essentially speaking. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another episode of Essentially Speaking. And on this episode, I decided to rein in some help. You know, the way Avengers, uh, and then they were like, yo, we need to call everybody. <laughs> so in my Avenger team is <laughs> Mr. Christian Luanda. He's a, a pastor, singer, a husband, all those nice things. <laughs> Karibu sana, man. Asante, man. I've, I've tried to have this convo recorded for a while. We keep uh, missing uh, schedule in a clash, but I'm glad uh, we're able to do it. So let's jump straight into it. Today we want to talk about whether we are truly in love with Jesus or what we call Christian culture. Mm. I grew up Christian. You know, my folks are Christian. And for a long time, I thought that I loved Jesus when essentially what I loved was the things Christians do. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, Tunenda Kesha, I feel like, yo, I put in my eight hours, man. <laughs> <laughs> we go, you know, we go for worship nights mm. and we cry our eyes out. And and I thought that was, I, I was sincerely doing it, but I, I learned later on that I was still kind of doing it to earn God's favor. And so I wanted to just have a, a convo around that and maybe see what we've seen as maybe people who've grown up in the church or not, or who are in church, you know, church culture right now, maybe see some things that have been helpful, some things that have been a major deterrent, or what's the word, but something major that is uh, denying us knowing who, who Jesus is. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I, I think I, I picked up was how church just changed. When I was growing up, you know, churches were small and it was very discipleship-centered. Mm -hmm. And now we are kind of seeing what they call mega church models come up. So I'm interested to know what your progression, at least seeing how church has changed. And, and if you can pinpoint points where you are like, ah, yeah, there was like a change there. And it kind of changed how we relate with the Bible and, and Jesus. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what your journey has been. Yeah, so there's, there's two aspects to that. So my personal journey as opposed to like kind of a historical journey. Mm -hmm. So my personal journey is kind of like yours. I was raised, well, not so much in a Christian home, but in a very religious home. Mm. Uh, we were good Anglicans. And I, I genuinely have no memory of my parents who are not born again at the time ever missing church. Like you can wow. miss something else, like in the church Buddha. Mm. Yeah, you're going to get a hiding if you utter that one. And then growing up in a really religious home with a name like Christian, me as, as far as me, I'm concerned, but see me, I'm a Christian. True, true. So I was a cultural Christian to the T, you know, and I, I just assumed I am because that's what we do. It's only later when I discovered, actually, nothing you do is going to make a difference. Yeah. Mm, and mm. That, that classic example of standing in a garage doesn't make you a car. A car Same yeah. way, you know, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Mm -hmm. So it's that whole idea of turning away from sin, trusting in Jesus Christ who came, died, rose again and offers eternal life only by faith. Yeah. Then is when I started realizing the gaps. Because before, because when you're in the culture, that thing of, does a fish know it's wet? Of course not, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, when you're in the culture, you don't realize the gaps. But when your eyes are, quote, unquote, being opened by God's spirit, and as you're reading God's word, you're like, eh, I think there are some gaps. Right. So I, I think I started seeing the same gaps you're seeing. Okay, okay. Yeah, for me, I, I'm a musician, and so I think the first gap I saw, like you said, is when I started playing music, I started seeing that the allure to churches kind of stopped being about uh, the centrality of the gospel or, or you know, those essentials. Yeah. And it started being about what I, I like, what I prefer. Yep. And I'm very guilty of this. Like, 
one of the first questions we'd ask, like, ah, which church did you go to? Blah, blah, blah. Ah, so how's the music team? Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> without skipping a beat. Without skipping a beat. Like, and if it's decent, we'll claim that it's a good church. Like, exactly. hey, that church is awesome. The worship team is tight. Yep, yep, <laughs> like, yep, yep, yep. And so that was one of, I think, one of the first gaps I saw where this idea of, and now it's become like horribly bad. I guess because of social media and just our aspirations. You know, even the people we follow online are people we look up to or want to be like. So that sort of consumerism mm-hmm. has crept into the church uh, in a huge way. And so I've seen it in like what I, I hold dear to be like church values right. have been nothing to do with yeah. <laughs> what church is. It's been, is the preacher funny? Yeah. Like, you know? Yeah. So I'm like, do people know that this is going on? Or like, are we just, you know, those zombies? Right. Maybe one day our eyes will be open. And is it something that first church leaders are aware of and are addressing? Or, and is it something that even congregants are aware of? Or is it our duty to now kind of start pointing them toward a health church looks like? Yeah, I think it's a couple of things there. Maze. So firstly... And, and I'm not just saying this because I'm a church leader and I like dumping on church leaders. But the, the truth of the matter is leaders set culture, mm. especially in the Christian faith. Mm. You know, you can argue that out in the political world, even if leaders are trying to do something, people get a vote and if they, you, whatever. Mm-hmm. But in the Christian faith, Hebrews 13.7, Hebrews 13.17, the whole point of submitting to our leadership is because they're setting culture. Mm. And I think right from around the mid-80s, our church leaders kind of veered a little bit off of what scripture says they should do. And I'm not ragging on them like, oh, we are so much better than you because we are younger. Not at all. Mm. You know, I've I've made the same mistakes you've made in a much bigger way as a pastor. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, now what can we give people? What can we keep them do to keep them excited? Mm. So I'm feeding their consumerism. Mm-hmm. I did that. So I'm not I'm not like knocking other people off. Yeah. But the minute we start making church about them, we are we are doing a disservice to them. So I think church leaders are the first place that the problem needs to land. That consumerism is set by the leaders. Mm. And I understand it. There's culture, there's this pressure of sadaka, this pressure of we need to maintain the building, etc., etc. So come, come, consume, mm. you know, pay for this product, so to speak. Only problem is you're actually compromising people's worship. Mm. The second thing that I think is a little more subtle is secularization, not secularism, Mm -hmm. but secularization. Secularism is a philosophy that says we don't need God. Everything we need for ourselves, we have it within ourselves. We can hack. Self-sufficiency, yeah. No one would buy that in the Christian church. But secularization is a process, not Mm. a philosophy. Mm. And it can take hundreds of years. Mm. So you wake up and you look at churches in in Europe or in America and they're dead. Mm-hmm. And 500 years ago, these people held the Westminster Confession, which is one of the best confessions in the English language. And you're like, how did this happen? Secularization. Mm. Pole pole, you just edited God out. You you stopped preaching the word. You started giving glorified TED Talks about how your relationships can be better, etc. Mm-hmm. Scratching where it itches. And over time, you just became secular. Right, right, right. It doesn't happen overnight, like you said. Even even the church in Europe now, uh, it was thriving. And Africa is, quote-unquote, where Europe was. Exactly. Now, you know. <laughs> exactly. But we think that we are thriving, and yet 80% of the thriving ministries are either prosperity ministries yep. or... And so I'm like, yo, are we repeating history? And... It's a, it's, a, it's a sobering thought 
that we would have influence over people and not steward them correctly. Hey, my lord. Yeah. <laughs> but the word does say that you know teachers would be judged kidogo uh, harshly. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's definitely a responsibility for us. And a quick one on that. Yeah. So will the congregation. Mm. So in First Timothy, where Paul says in the last days, people will surround themselves with what their itching ears want to hear. Mm-hmm. He's laying the blame on the people. Ah. Not the leaders. Mm-hmm. He's saying these people are responsible for who they asked to teach them. Mm. So yes, the leaders will be held to a stricter standard, but God for sure will judge a congregation that is moved by consumerism and not Christ. Uh, that's a good point. I think in our context, we live in Kenya, if you're listening and watching us and you're wondering who these people are. In our context, it's 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 funny how I'm seeing parallels even with the Western church now mm-hmm. in our in the urban context, at least, Nairobi, Mombasa, all the cities. And I've kind of seen that entertainment, let me call it entertainment for lack of a better term, but entertainment has kind of put a a veil on true fellowship. You know, like we mentioned, like when we were younger, we were like, yo, is the worship team nice? Is the preacher funny? And so those have become the, the marks to draw people into our churches. And sometimes, even as church leaders, would feed that, like you said. The sad thing with that is that when that thing stops, like, yeah, the day Noel is not leading worship, yeah. uh, you know, is that person going to come to church? So it's first very sad that the reason I would be coming to church is is to be entertained by, <laughs> <laughs> by my favorite worship leader yeah. or or my favorite pastor, who may, you know, for all intents, handle scripture well, but may just be a, a bubbly personality type guy yeah. Yeah. who knows how to draw people in. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if he's the reason, if he's the only one who can break down scripture in your church, you saying that I only go to church when Christian is preaching is yeah. is, 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 is literally saying that, that he's the only one who can... <laughs> it's idolatry. You're, right? be, you're being very kind. <laughs> you're, you're, trying, you're being very kind. It is idolatry. It's idolatry. Yeah. And when you put it in that frame, it's, it sounds guy. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Is this idol worship? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh, I don't want to be guilty, Lord. I don't want to be guilty. And, the, and and I feel like the, the the worry, why it's so subtle and so difficult, is mm. because we create a church that looks like us, does what we like. We create and endorse preachers that look like us, do what we like. We we create a concept of fellowship that serves us. So you have to question: Are we really worshiping Christ, or are we worshiping us? Mm. That's that's where the sticky point is. Like you said, there's nothing wrong with being bubbly, being welcoming. None of those things are bad. But when the draw is not that I am coming to worship God and commune with his people in obedience to him for his glory mm. and my good, but it's you guy Noel is in the worship team. Right. You guy Christian is preaching. Yeah, then we're in trouble. Right, right. <laughs> what people call the seeker sensitive movement mm-hmm. um, is something that's been talked about a lot. If you haven't heard about the seeker sensitive movement, it's this idea of trying to make uh, non-believers the target of our ministry and in doing so, making the environment of a church service non-traditional in a sense so that their guard is down and they feel welcome mm-hmm. and, and and they feel that they're not condemned, etc., etc. And while the intentions have been great, we've seen a lot of flaws with that approach. And I think the first flaw I've seen is that church has assumed that people know why they are coming to church. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Do you want to say it louder for the guys who go in the back? Who go, who go. Church has assumed that we know the reason. Like, ah, that's check on the box. They know why they are coming. 
And yet, scriptures like Romans 3 is like, there's none who seeks the Lord. <laughs> that's the point. <laughs> there's none who does good. <laughs> so I'm like, that's the first problem. And it's created a myriad of, of problems in yeah. that approach. I don't know what you've kind of observed with the seeker sensitive. That's 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 it. It's a miss. So again, just to just to to be clear, and if you may be part of a seeker sensitive church, the intentions are almost always good. Mm-hmm. The intention is we we really want to evangelize the lost. Mm. Okay, these people who seem to be seeking God, we want them to come. But it's a dual misunderstanding of a the church, rather a that the unbeliever and then b the church. You made it. You've made it spot on. The unbeliever is not seeking God. They might be seeking what God can give. Mm. Health, eternal life, great. But they don't want him. Romans 3 makes it abundantly clear. They actually hate him. Mm-hmm. But it's also a misunderstanding of church. Who is the church? The church is a group of believers who have covenanted with one another to oversee each other's faith, meet regularly and proclaim the gospel and oversee each other's faith, particularly through the ordinances. Mm. So we have church mainly for the believers. It doesn't mean we are unaware that unbelievers are coming, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Mm-hmm. We know they're in our midst, but we fundamentally have it for the believer. Mm. What we, again, church leaders, and I'm putting myself there, what we have done is create church for unbelievers. Mm. So we are herding goats instead of shepherding sheep. Wow. I like that. I like that. I have just remembered this passage in 1 Corinthians, I think it's 4, where... Paul is telling the church there, he's like, you know, I know I told you guys not to hang out with idolaters, with the sexually immoral, blah, 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 blah. But he's urging them. He, he's not talking about the guys outside of the exactly. church. He's telling them, it's the guys among you, the ones who bear the name brother. Like, those are the guys that I'm saying, yo, some church discipline, Kidogo. Yes. Like, <laughs> so that's a good point that church is actually for the believer. And we have the hope that we're going to evangelize and grow the church. Uh, but now when we are crafting the quote-unquote product to, to fit this comfortability, if you will, it, it leads us to muffling the gospel almost yeah. because the, gof- uh, the gospel in itself is offending to the unbeliever. Amen. Right? The Bible says the message of the cross seems foolish to those who are perishing. So they're not going to come and be like, yay, I'm a sinner. <laughs> And just, just to draw you back, do you want to give like a 30-second explanation of what you mean by church discipline in 1 Corinthians 5? Because you're right, Paul says there, I'm not going to judge the world. Right, right, right. I, right. I, I'm not going to leave the world. Yeah. Talk about the church, the people of God. So what do you mean by church discipline? Yeah, like the church has a responsibility for those who claim to be believers as, as disciples of Jesus. There is the process of, uh, church word here, sanctification, where because you know the finished work of Jesus and what he did, you're continually being transformed. So you're not perfect. You're not, yeah, you're not going to just be perfect. Yeah. But because you are aware of the finished work of, of God and, and the spirit of God is, is transforming you, you're going to bear fruit that says you are a believer. Amen. And so if you're living in continual sin and yet claim to be this brother, it's upon us as the church to quote-unquote discipline you and say, hey, bro, what you confess is not what you're doing. Amen. And so you can't remain in that state if you're calling yourself a brother. But for many of us, we we don't like that, actually. We we call it uh, judging. Right, right. <laughs> we say, don't judge me, bro. Only, only God can judge me. <laughs> you know, to pack, to pack lines. <laughs> but the reality is we have that responsibility. And it's actually not us passing judgment on you. It's us being good stewards of, of what God has given us as a fellowship, as a, as a community. And it's an act of love. Mm, yeah. Exactly. The, the, the Bible says, 
God disciplines those he loves. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. So if, mm-hmm. if there's no discipline, if I'm not disciplining my child, I hate him. That's what the Bible says. Yeah. Not that I have issues. Mm. It says that I hate the child. So when we love someone, this act of discipline is saying we want to give you an earthly physical picture of what will happen to you in eternity mm. if you don't repent and believe. And that the, the, the disaster of the seeker-sensitive movement, mm. we stopped doing church discipline for that exact reason. Mm. When the church is fundamentally for unbelievers, how do you discipline them? True. They have no responsibility to live for Christ. True. But when the church is fundamentally for believers, then if you have someone like the first Corinthians 5 guy who's sleeping with his stepmom, mm-hmm. even the Corinthians and believers are going, eh, hey, Buddha, Baze, Banazi. You've crossed the line. You guy. So when you're involved in open, egregious, and unrepentant sin, the church has not only the responsibility, I love that word, but the authority mm. to say you may not have communion, holy communion, yeah. the Lord's Supper, because you clearly, your life is evidence that you have no communion with the Holy One or His Holy Ones. And as an act of love, we will bar you from coming to this table, hence excommunication, right. we will exempt you from communion, to excommunion is to is to excommunicate, is to excommunion, mm. so that... In time, we will love you like the like the Gentile or the tax collector from Matthew 18 mm-hmm. in the hope that as you hear the gospel, you will come back. Mm. A seeker-sensitive church might mean well, but unless they're doing that, you're missing the gospel. Right, right, right. Talk, talking about missing the gospel, if I, if I can pick it up from there. Sadly, what has happened now with, with everything that we've sort of touched on is the gospel has been missing, Right. And so what I see, especially with young believers, is a confession of faith and a profession of, you know, all the nice things that we believe in. But when it comes to applying even just basic godly wisdom in how we live, you, you kind of don't see it. So someone may, someone may say the right things, but you're not seeing even godly wisdom being applied in their life, etc., etc. I'm going to pedal back and ask, are we seeing a works-based gospel in effect? Because many of us, I mean, it's traditional. Uh, let's say it's 2020, 31st deck, we go, we see fireworks. <laughs> yeah. It's traditional. 90% of churches in Kenya are going to have a prayer and fasting, oh, are going to yeah. have a, a month of declaration. And we kind of think that this is what's going to make our ear great, right? And, and there's nothing wrong with prayer and fasting. Those are Amen. excellent things. Jesus even encouraged us to do it. Amen. But... When we make that the thing that is going to get us what we really want, it's kind of seeing that works-based gospel in effect. That's exactly so. Right. I, I don't know how you've you've seen it in our Kenyan context. Like, um, you know, the zeal is there, the sincerity is there, but how do we just rework this? <laughs> <laughs> that the word you've used there. That's exactly right. We are putting the cart before the horse. Mm. Somewhere in our heads, and again, I'm sorry. Church leaders, I love you. I'm one of you. We love you, bro. We are pro-church, by the way. For real. We are pro-church. Super pro-church. That is the issue. Somewhere in our hearts and in our minds, we think we can do something that only God can do. We think we can save people. If we do this, people will get saved. If we do this, people will grow in their faith. What's Mm. the program? Let's do experiencing God. Boom. People will grow in their faith. Mm. Yeah, that's just not how it works. (laughs) Mm. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to make the children of God like the Son of God to the glory of God. And here's the hard part for us church leaders in his own time. Mm. Because he's the one at work. Jesus said, I will build my church. We have taken that to mean I will build God's church. Right. (laughs) That's not how it works. Mm. We have to come back to the very simple things. Pray. The word, preach the word, be patient, 
with God's people as he works through his word mm. and leave the results. So it, the short version is we need to concern ourselves with being biblical mm. and the depth of ministry. Let God handle the breadth and the width in his own time. Mm. Then we won't be putting the cart before the horse. Right, right. <laughs> There's something you've said. I've just kind of remembered this passage in Luke Luke 3, John is like, he's not discipling, what's the word? Baptizing. He's baptizing folk. And uh, these folks are coming at him with all sort of questions. They're like, yo, so what should you do about this? And he's like, yo, you know, uh, you know, don't collect uh, extra tax that you shouldn't be collecting. And you, if you have an extra tunic, you know, give it to this guy and blah, blah, blah. And they're, and they're all there like, wow, this dude is so cool. Like, <laughs> yeah. wow. And Bible says they're they are like, they are in eager expectation. Like, huh? Eh? So, next? Uh, thinking that he's the Messiah. And and John does something that sadly we don't do <laughs> here. He he says, there is one who's coming and I'm not even worthy. He points them back to, Amen. to, to who Christ is. But what I'm seeing now, especially with some, you know, charismatic movements, it's turning into a personality, yeah. you, know, you know, cult-driven movement where this is the guy... Yep. Now, Christian, I'm sure I'll see a photo with you and your wife <laughs> outside the church. <laughs> with a Wednesday miracle service. Right. And there isn't a deliberate attempt to do what John did. Like, yo, yo, I'm just I'm just the vessel. Like, this, this is this is the guy I'm trying to tell you, you know, to tell you about. Amen. And so I guess as a church leader, can can we as a congregation keep church leaders accountable? And how do we how do we call out some of these things that we are seeing? Because there is that overtly abused verse, oh, touch not the anointed, blah, 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 which we know is hogwash when yeah. we read the New Testament. But kind of just tell us what sort of authority we have as believers to even put our, our church leaders in accountability. So so that, man, that's, you asked me to do this in 50 seconds <laughs> or less. But, well, as, as, as a congregant, it starts with you re- recognizing the same spirit that is in you is in your leaders that God has actually placed on you the responsibility of overseeing the faith of the people around you, including the pastor. That doesn't mean you don't follow his lead, but it does mean that you, when you see something off, you approach him and say, yo, I see an, an issue here, I see an issue here. Could we come back to what scripture says about that? That is actually a responsibility. Mm. God will hold you accountable for the kind of church member you were, mm. not just for whether you gave or not but for whether you cared about the spiritual health of your church, including your pastor, whether you prayed for them, whether you rebuked, whether you taught, whether you discipled each other. Mm, And secondly, as a congregation, Matthew 16, Matthew 18 makes it abundantly clear you are the last uh, uh, court of appeal Mm. in matters to do with membership and discipline. Mm. And so think of it like a car. Members are meant to be the the handbrake, but not the steering wheel. Mm. So let the elders lead, let the pastors lead. But if you see this thing going in the wrong direction, either doctrinally, like Galatians 1, where they are preaching a false gospel, or in terms of practice, pull up the handbrake as a congregation. Say, we want to meet with you pastors. This is going the wrong direction. It needs to change. And I know that's hard. I know it's easier said than done. I know some churches aren't even structured for that. Mm. But at least those two are things you'd want to consider. Okay. And pray. Hey, hallelujah. Pray. Um, Before we wrap, can can you also touch on then what a healthy church looks like. We've talked about sort of what unhealthy churches look like. And I guess for me, it's a church that prioritizes the gospel, right? Um, But are there any other marks that someone who's listening can be like, hey, I want to kind of think about the church I'm in now 
and and evaluate whether it's healthy for me to be here yeah. and to grow and be discipled. So any anything else? Yeah, so let me just point out four big things. I usually have like a list of 12. But yeah. <laughs> here's the four big things. Number one, exactly what you said. Do they preach the true gospel? Do they preach um, that Christ is God, second person of the Trinity, came, lived, died, rose, and the only way to respond to that sacrifice is by repentance and faith? Mm. Two, do they preach the word? and rightly handle the word that they are preaching, mm-hmm. right? Not touch, not the Lord's anointed, then they use that to justify why you cannot criticize me. Right. But they actually walk you through the, the, the word and walk you through the gospel. Third thing mm-hmm. I would say, the third thing I would say is, is there an emphasis on conversion? Like you know the difference between an unbeliever and a believer. Mm-hmm. If that distinction is not being made clear, you might be in trouble. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good, man. We could talk and talk. <laughs> I I hope I hope to have you back, man. Um, and we probably chop it up a bit more. Thank you guys for watching. Remember to like, to share, and to subscribe. That helps us get this to many people who need to hear it. It's not for our ego statistics. Mm. See you all. God bless. Peace. Skis are flown. A conversation, essentially speaking.